ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast. My name is Jesse Mayer, and I am your host. We are starting a brand new series this week titled Faith and Science, Is There a Conflict? I want to welcome our very own Salty Pastor himself. <laughs> Let's get this started. Dr. Oh, Douglas it's so good to be here with all of you today. I'm glad that you are a part of the Salty Pastor, pastor Listening Group. And so I just hope that uh, this new series is something that excites you as much as me because I'm planning on kind of geeking out a little bit over this. You're so. going to be a little bit of a nerd. I'm going to be a little bit of a nerd. You okay, guys are going to get... the new chic is what I <laughs> Is hear. that really? I finally, <laughs> at age 32, I have finally become cool yeah. according to pop culture. Yeah, just get a haircut and stick with it because <laughs> the style in 30 years will come back. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you are a regular listener, I want you to know that we are actually going to be doing a format change during this series. Mm-hmm. Um, up to this point, we would take specific passages of the Bible, and on Tuesday, we'd do an in-depth analysis mm-hmm. and uh, uh, of that those passages, that passage, right? Yeah, exegesis. Um, yeah. And then during this series, what we're actually going to do is analyze biblical principles on Tuesdays, and Pastor Doug, why are we changing the format? Well, verse by verse uh, exposition or exegesis, which is studying uh, kind of like text, uh, verse by verse by verse, is important when you want to dig into the Bible and discover what the author meant when they wrote it. Uh, it's important because it avoids misinterpretation, misunderstanding, misapplication. Because in reality, one of the things that happens most often is that people get off and not uh, they get off course, not when they read the Bible, but when they try to apply it to a situation. Mm. And so uh, a scholar once said that most heresies happen in application. And so so that's why you do uh, verse by verse and you do exegesis because we have a high view of Scripture and we believe that it points us to Jesus Christ and what it means to know and walk with him in faith. However, this is detail oriented work. And just like anything, you need to step back and look at the whole thing now and then to make sure that it's, you know, cogent, it fits together, there's a symmetry to it, very similar to an artist, you know, he's up there blending these colors and very fine uh, uh, drawing on the thing, but then he steps back, you know, from the painting and he holds his thumb up and goes, okay, I got my proportions right. An engineer building a car, you know, I mean, engineers will obsess over the dial, you know, kind of a thing or obsess over the size of the pedal or how many stitches are in the seat covering you know but at some point you got to just step back and look at it and go well that looks cool (laughs) (laughs) you know or oh yeah that symmetry all comes together and so it's important to be detail oriented but it's also important to step back and see the big picture and that's what we're going micro and macro right yep and that's why we're going to do it this way during this series well let's talk about this new series i'm actually really excited about it um when we talked about this a couple months ago you had started kind of talking about this being on your heart and something you wanted to work through um, what's it all about? Well, it's about faith and science and whether or not there is a conflict between the two of them. My story, just a little window into who I am, is I grew up in a science household. My father was a research scientist in the medical field. His specialty was pediatric endocrinology. And he started in 1964, 1965 at the infamous uh, Jewish Barnes Hospital in St. Louis in the Central West End. And then he then moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I was probably seven 
at that time, about 1970. And he started the endocrinology department as a researcher there at the Bernalillo County Medical Facility. So I grew up around all these doctors and scientists, researchers. You know, we socialized with them. Um, their kids and I were friends and we holidayed together. We went skiing together. We went backpacking together. We did all of these things at this science community. So I grew up in that, but I also grew up in a faith household. And that is, is that uh, my father and my mother took me to church uh, and I kind of loved both. And as I grew up, I just kind of kept them in separate categories. And then on occasion, science people uh, would use science to try and discredit faith. The first time it happened, uh, I was so excited. I was taking biology in high school and I really liked the teacher. Uh, and he got up and he, he started talking about evolution and the origin of the species and all this kind of stuff, which uh, at the time I, my dad was just like, well, just learn about it. You know, just learn all you can about science. You want to know what all the theories are. You want to know as much as you can. And I was excited about it and he got up. And then he went on this rant about how religion is bad and Christianity is destroyed, you know, science. And if it wasn't for science, we'd be living in the Stone Age. And I mean, just went on and on and on. So I went home and shared with my dad this. And my dad just said, yeah, you're going to run into nuts now and then. And that's when you just <laughs> say, well, what, could you just teach us science and keep your opinions to yourself? You know, so that was the first time I ran into the need for the separation of science from schooling. You know right. what I'm saying? Because it's like your scientific opinion, which is naturalism, atheism is not science. And we're going to get into that. Then when I was at uh, college, I went over to K-State as a Manhattan Christian College, getting a degree in Bible and ministry and theology. And I went to K-State so that my degree would be accredited. So I took science courses and some other courses over there. And so I was really excited about physics. I love, I've always enjoyed physics. And I went over there and the guy on the first day, this is where I was a junior at this time. Most people were freshmen in there. They just come their first class in the fall and you walk in and it's one of those big, huge lecture halls that can seat 600 people. Right. And it's jammed with all these freshmen because they always show up on the for their class on the first day. And, and that's he, the last time that they yeah, that's show the last up. time that happens. <laughs> you know, once you figure out the griff, how do you pass the class <laughs> without ever going? Then, yeah, which they made that uh, uh, painstakingly clear for you. You kind of quit going. But he started off the classes. He put a passage up from the Old Testament from uh, where it says that the sun stood still until the Israelites, you know, wreaked havoc on the Amalekites. And so he talked about how this is just myth and everything and science has delivered us from all this kind of stuff. And so I thought, oh, OK, well, that's well, I don't know why he would do that why you take a shot at faith, but he did. And he was head of the entire science department. Oh, wow. And yet he's teaching freshman physics. And I thought, okay, there's something odd about that. that and it's a little weird. That was his little, I'm here to grind my ax and convert all of you people to atheism. It was his goal because he was a naturalist and that's a religion. And we're going to talk about that throughout this series. It's not science. There is a difference. So long and short of it is the next time we went in there, you know, I just asked him a question 
And I, I can't quite remember how I phrased it, but I remember to this day where he said to me, he said in the class, he goes, well, I didn't say you have to agree with me. I'm, I was just pointing out an option. And that was a victory for me because basically what I was saying is keep your opinions to yourself and teach physics, right? Right. So, so what, when that happened, I, I began to see this difference, this separation, and I wanted them to come back together. And in 1996, someone gave me a book called Darwin's Black Box by Michael Behe. And I read that and it was, it was a scientific refutation of some of the tenets of Darwinian evolution. Not all of it, but some of it. And then I read another book uh, by Dr. Francis Collins called The Language of God. And right now he is the head of the Institute of Science uh, here in the United States of America, the most prestigious scientific posting in America. And he was the guy who mapped the human genome uh, during the Clinton administration. And that happened in 2000 when he was recognized for leading the entire global team that mapped the human genome and DNA. And he wrote an interesting book about the language of God and about this experience. And he just basically talked about how uh, I was the leading scientist in DNA research, ha uh, mapped the human ge genome. Oh, and by the way, I'm a Christian and I practice my faith regularly. So what happened is I really started to dig into this and see, okay, well, what is all this that's going on? And this series is about that. Is faith an irrational part of us? And is science pure rational? And does science disprove God uh, or not? And I thought it would be really good to let people see, can you have faith and you can have uh, in God and faith and science all at the same time? So, I mean, basically what I'm hearing is that you believe there isn't a conflict in believing in God and in science. Correct. I, I do not believe that there is a conflict. I believe it's a red herring used by atheists, also known as naturalists. And I'd like to point out here is that there are three things going on here. First, you have faith or religion. And the difficulty in this discussion is when you talk to people, uh, atheists conflate those two. They, they, they intentionally change their verbiage to fool you. And the, the bottom line is there is faith in Jesus Christ, people who have faith that there is a God. And then there is faith that there isn't a God. And that's called atheism. It's also known as naturalism. And then there is a tool called science. Science in and of itself. And every theist philosopher, scholar that I know of, and every theistic scientist I know, and most honest atheistic scientists all agree. Science is incapable of proving or disproving the existence of God because it is in and of itself a tool designed for a single purpose, and that is to understand the mechanics of the space-time reality in which we exist, the material world. So science is a tool. It doesn't have an opinion. It'd be like asking your hammer to prove or disprove. Yeah, and exactly. It's, it's just, it's, it's designed to do that. And here's what's really interesting is because there's a lot of things that this tool, wonderful it is, can and cannot prove. For instance, it cannot prove or disprove 
aesthetics, beauty. Like it can't, when we see beauty and go, oh my goodness, that's gorgeous. Science cannot prove or disprove that. Science can help you understand why we think some things are more beautiful than others, like human beings, you know, symmetry and stuff like that. But actually what, you know, it's really interesting. Um, Carl Sagan uh, wrote a novel, you know, called Contact, and they made a movie out of it. It was really good. had Matthew McConaughey in it. And... um, that gal, Jodie Foster, was in it. And what's really interesting is she's making this naturalist argument. It says, I can only believe in things I can prove. I can only believe in things I can prove. And he, he says something really interesting to her because he knew her. He had history with her. And she was raised by her father because her mother died very young. And she loved her dad. And then she lost him. And it was really hard for her. And he looks at her and he says, you know, in that Matthew McConaughey, steely-eyed look, he says, uh, did you love your father? And she kind of chokes up and she says, yes, absolutely. And then he says, prove it. And what he points out is there's no scientific way to prove that you loved your father. And so so what we have here is we have two faith-based systems. You have faith in Jesus, faith in God, and atheists call that religion. And then they say all religions are the same, which is a categorical error in logic. And so it's a fallacy. And then you have atheists who don't believe in God, which is a statement of faith. And Frank Turk wrote a book. Uh, he's a philosopher. And he said, and it's a great book. It's kind of really storming through college campuses because he travels to universities and, and does these presentations. And the name of the book is, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And what he points out in atheism, which is naturalism, you have to adopt assumptions, right, which are faith oriented. So these assumptions, they're not provable or disprovable. So in in sense, that's what we're talking about. And there is no conflict between uh, the conflict between faith in Jesus and science. There are some conflicts, but they're really minor but the conflicts between naturalism or atheism and science is massive and they are fatal. Uh, but atheists play a trick and that is, is our, and our media supports this. It came out in 1874. There was a guy by the name of John William Draper and he wrote a book initially titled History of the Conflict Between Religion and Science. It was published as The Warfare of Science in 1896. He also published another book called A History of the Warfare of Science with Theology in Christendom. And uh, what he wanted to do is he launched what is known as the conflict theory. And what he tried to do is say there's a war going on between science and theology in Christendom. However, no serious scholar or historian believes the conflict theory to be true or an accurate representation of the times. And... Uh, Here's a quote. Contemporary scholarship does not support the conflict thesis in its original form. Most historians have moved away from a conflict model, which is based mainly on two historical episodes, Galileo and Darwin, for a more what they call complexity model. Because any religious figure, because many, uh, not any, many religious figures were on both sides of the disputes. And there was no overall aim by any party involved to discredit religion. When you study Galileo and the the, uh, actual historical fact of what happened with Galileo and what happened with Darwin, you see a false representation. It's, It's 
it's uh, you know they they make this term fake news. It's fake history, <laughs> um, and and hopefully we'll get into talking about that. It, and what I would what I would postulate, and this is the overall theme of this so, store, uh, excuse me, of this series, is it is Christianity that launched the scientific revolution because of its commitment to reason as a critical component of your faith. Tertullian, who lived uh, from 160 to about 225, put it this way. So the, we're talking guys that, you know, his grandpa hung out with the apostles, right. right? Or maybe even his dad. It says, reason is a thing of God inasmuch as there is nothing which God the maker of all has not provided, disposed, ordained by reason. Nothing which he has not willed should be handled and understood by reason. And then he wrote later uh, in the recognitions, and this is a tradition attributed to Clement of Rome. Do not think that we say these things are only to be received by faith, but also that they are to be asserted by reason. And what they were doing is they were trying to say faith and reason are interlinked because truth cannot be uh ascertained without reason so i said a lot there but that's what this whole series is about well and i think it's interesting too because you kind of alluded to this and i'm assuming you'll kind of expound upon it more as well but like it seems like a lot of scientists philosophers um the big thinkers are also men and women of faith as well it is not an exclusivity of only if you're a scientist, you can't have faith. You can't mm-hmm. believe in something. And what you're saying is, in fact, even the ones that don't believe in God are putting their faith in a lack of God. And so yeah. either way, they still have faith. They're just putting their faith in different locations. Well, my position is this, and that is, is that science as a tool is an amazing tool. And that, that's why I love it. You know, I love all tools, by the way. You know, big fan <laughs> of tools. I got, I got lots of tools. I love tools and I love science. I really do. I love the wonder of it, the beauty of it, and the way it shines a light on this reality, the material universe in which we live. You know, I, I just, I'm always enamored by it and, and have a deep love for it. And so what's interesting though, is that like any tool or paintbrush or uh, carving thing is that it has to be in the hand of someone, right? For a purpose. It has to have a purpose behind it. And this is where you get into really like theoretical mathematics and all of this kind of stuff. And here's the dirty little secret out there that the scientists and our media in particular don't want you to know the postmodern deconstructionist media. And that is this is that more and more scientists are becoming theists. Hmm. But if you want to know where cancel culture started, it started in the scientific community. That's where it started. And that is, If you held to any type of belief in a creator or if you were a Christian and they could figure that out, then they would deny you tenure. They would deny you positions. They would deny you government granted research. They would deny all of these things. As a matter of fact, uh, Ben Stein, you know, the comedian Ben Stein. Yeah. You know, the guy Bueller. Bueller. <laughs> yeah, that's where he got his start. You know, he, he's just an interesting guy. He's not a Christian guy at all. He's Jewish, 
but uh, and he's not really like hardcore Jewish, you know, he's more like a secular Jew. But he he actually did a movie where he documented all of these people who were denied positions and fired because they didn't tow the atheistic, naturalistic, line. religious line. And it's a fascinating documentary. But our our uh, secular press ignores that. And as a matter of fact, when Dr. Francis Collins was selected to become head of the uh, Institute of Science and Health, he was opposed by a lot of people, a lot of uh, representatives and some senators opposed him on the basis that he was a theist, that he believed there was a God. Hmm. Yet they still got him in anyway. So, Well, and I, I also like the part where you were talking about science is a tool. Science doesn't render an opinion on this thing. It's a tool, right? right. And it's it's very similar to there's a lot of um, work right now in um, artificial intelligence and mm -hmm. utilizing tools in order to help, you know, creatives. So like this is my workflow, do creative things where it's like, hey, we want to help you make your picture look a little bit better. And so they program an algorithm. But ultimately, that algorithm doesn't render an opinion on what is beautiful or what's going to be better all it's doing is saying these things typically make this look better yes based on what the humans who made the program told it yeah. and so it's still rendering it it's not rendering a judgment it's being used as a tool as a tool based on what the person who made it is programmed it to be and i i, I kind of see science the same way it's like science can be manipulated and told to you know kind of yeah be used in a certain ways to influence your opinions because it has so much authority behind it but yeah. ultimately it doesn't render an opinion it's just a tool yeah and that's and that's one of the challenges of why i think it's so important to do this today because you know i think right now is that there are uh you know some really struggles for science right now and science uh has kind of lost its way a little bit and so i see that when we use the conflict theory as a basis and then people can man like you just said manipulate science in the end that's really bad for science uh and here's why science is struggling a little bit right now is number one is people are losing faith in the experts you know uh we see it we see how science is being politically used and it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on, but when people use it and say, well, we're the party of science, well, to me, that's a kind of a big joke. You know, it's like saying, I am the science of a skill saw, or we're the party of the skill saw. You know, we're the party what of- a great party, yeah, though. <laughs> we're the party of the computer. Um, okay, it's a tool, and uh, it's a, what it is, is it's a red herring. It, it's designed, I know, to get people vote a certain way. And so, so I'm hoping that the people who want to listen to the salty pastor want to think for themselves, and they want to figure this out. And, but the fact is, regardless of your position on these things or not, regardless, if you're an honestly intellectual person, you will admit that people are losing faith in the experts, particularly when it comes to COVID and what we should do. More and more peop the people are losing faith that the so-called scientists who say they know what they are doing uh, is the number of people who question them is growing. It's not shrinking. 
uh, the usage of masks in particular. Now, regardless of how you feel about Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci started out and he said, don't wear masks, right? And now he's saying you have to wear masks. And then ask why he changed his position. His response wasn't, well, we've learned more from the science and we've learned this, we've learned this. He didn't say that. He said, well, I lied because I didn't want people buying all the masks. Now, if you're a scientist, your community is really damaged by that kind of stuff. And now Dr. Fauci, whether, I'm not taking a position on whether he's a good or bad. I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to take a position on whether you believe he's good or bad. What I am trying to get you to think is objectively on how does everybody out there, people who aren't even scientists, right, are they going to receive it? And when he says, well, in order to open up the schools, we need to bail out for them. That is an overtly political statement. That's not a scientific statement. So consequently, what you have to do is you have to realize that people are losing faith in the so-called experts because science as a tool is being manipulated politically. And the scientific community has allowed itself to be politicized. Uh, the, the way in which studies are done, whether studies are published or not, in some of the most leading and respected scientific journals uh, are being influenced politically. And this is because of our postmodern deconstructionist society that wants to build, as Gramsci said, a cultural hegemony. And so you control the information. This is Orwellian exactly what he talked about in 1984 is that control the language control the thoughts and you can control the outcome and so scientific community has allowed the media to portray certain individuals as spokespeople for them and these people detest people of faith you know richard dawkins is constantly uh trotted out is an expert he says that religion is a virus and he says teaching your children religion is child abuse and your children should be taken away from parents who teach their children religion i'd say that's a pretty hostile view of that's people pretty of faith. hostile yeah another famous one is neil degrasse uh tyson he promotes this conflict theory of faith and science over and over again and he has made a lot of extremely negative comments about people of faith uh, Bill Maher, you know, on HBO, he constantly calls people of faith irrational and he calls faith in and alludes to it as a mental disorder. Uh, Penn Gillette, the guy in uh, the magician, you know, in uh, Las Teller. Vegas of Penn and Teller, you know, he's written about this extensively. He says, love and respect all people hate and destroy all faith. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Love and respect all people unless they believe something different than what I think they ought to believe and then you should hate them and destroy them. Mm. That's what he's saying. I mean, when, when you say something like, I'm a highly rational, logical person, and then you say something so stupid and illogical and absurd as that, people lose faith in you. People don't see you as an objective person that has the best interest of all people. You're grinding an ax to sell books and make money and be wealthy. Well, that's fine. But when you're, if you're a real scientist and you care about the efficacy and the reputation of the science community and you allow people like that to speak for you and you allow the media to manipulate the discussion out there, then you are a part of the problem, not the solution. As a scientist, you should say these people are speaking as naturalists, not as scientists. They're pushing a religious faith-based approach 
And that is because if you don't do that, fewer and fewer people are going to have faith in the scientists. And when you look at surveys and you look at people, scientists are still ranked pretty high, but it's going down. And is that what we want to be? A society that doesn't have faith in any institution, anybody or anything. I mean, how does a society like that exist? It doesn't. Bill Nye said people who believe in that God created the earth have small brains. And what's so amazing is Bill Nye is not even a scientist. He's an engineer. He has no science degree, but he got on TV and called himself a science guy. He's an engineer. Now, does that mean he can't have science? Yeah, but what he's doing, see, the reason I point that out is because he makes an appeal to authority. In logic, he's saying, I'm right because I'm a scientist. I have authority. Well, how do you make an appeal to authority when you don't have the authority to make the appeal? You see, it's like, well, I'm a licensed lawyer in California. You know, I pass the bar and I can practice law. And so you should listen to me when I give an opinion on the law. Turns out you didn't pass the bar and you're not a, a licensed lawyer in California. Right. Does that undermine your credibility? 100%. 100%. And so then you turn around and go, well, why are people losing faith in the experts? Well, well, this is why. And the reason why is because a science community is allowing people like this to speak for them. So I love science. I love, I love everything about science. But science reveals in and of itself that it is incapable of answering the most important questions, the biggest questions of all. You see, science is not philosophy. It is not a, it can't be a religion, even though these people are trying to make it a religion. These are atheists and naturalists who are trying to use science. They're trying to claim science as the primary foundation for their belief system. It's an effective appeal, but it is false. And that's what we're going to study is how false because so, so when science gets off track, it's bad for science, but you know what else it's bad for? It's bad for faith. It's really bad for our faith. You see, what made Christianity so powerful is because it's true. It has a love of truth, not just my experience with God is a real thing, but it's objectively true. And reason that comes from truth is critical. So if we see reason and if we see what science is doing as an enemy, then all the emphasis is on feeling an emotional experience that I have with God. Now, I, if you're worshiping God and, and his spirit moves within you and you have an emotional experience, I'm fine with that. But that is not the totality of Christianity because I can tell you this. I've been married for 32 years and sometimes there's things that my wife does. It just wells up emotion within me and it's just so romantic and warm and just man it's so fulfilling and there's other times when that's not there but i keep loving my well, my wife anyway because it's true and it's objectively true and i stay true to that so so that is really important to understand is that when science is pulled into and manipulated politically and by atheists and naturalists it's bad for science but when the church, people of faith, allow that to happen, then it's bad for faith as well. Hmm. Because we lose one of the most incredibly important aspects of our faith, which is reason. And that's a totality of who we are and how God created us. So what are some of the biblical principles you see that allow us to view science and faith 
as friends. Well, I think it's really important. Yeah, you know, on Tuesday we want to kind of pull out the biblical principle first, and in Romans chapter one, verses eighteen through twenty-three, is probably one of the primary passages that really inspired a lot of the early scientists in their discovery, but. Uh, verse 18, uh, it's in the book of Romans. And the book of Romans is a very heady academic book because Paul is building a rational, logical foundation for we are saved by faith, not by the law. Or the, So it's all about knowing Christ. He's the center of God's plan. And Romans, the book of Romans is what actually launched the Protestant Reformation. Uh, Martin Luther King was uh, depressed and sad. He was a Catholic priest. And so they sent him to a small village, little monastery in Germany. And he spent two years reading and studying just the book of Romans. Hmm. And it was that during that time where he realized, wow, what we say is Christendom today is so far removed from this. It's not even funny. And that's what launched the Protestant Reformation. So the book of Romans is very heady. It's very important. It's, you know, it's like reading a very important, you know, scientific journal that figures out some new, oh, we found, you know, the Higgs boson. Uh, and so, and here's why. And so it's a, it's a very important building block. And in it, he says, look, first one, he goes, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So what he's saying is, look, people are suffering the wrath of rejecting God and adopting a godless way of thinking. And I would say there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, in the 20th century, it's called the predicament of modern man. Uh, Elton Trueblood wrote about this, is that it's the bloodiest century in the history of recorded humanity. I mean, millions, tens of millions of people killed all because of human ideology that had rejected God. All of it. Uh, you look at... The Bolshevik Revolution, you look at Mao Zedong and his cultural revolution, you look at Nazism, their, their democratic socialism, uh, fascism, all of these things rejected God. And that's what it ended up. And he says, they suppress the truth by wickedness. So it's easy to suppress the truth when you don't believe that there is a God and an objective truth. He goes, now, this is what he says, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain. So he says, it's really hard to deny that there's a God because there's something that makes it plain within us. And verse 20 tells us what makes it plain. For since the creation of the world God's invisible qualities. Okay, so these are things about God that we can't see or know because someone told us. So there's invisible qualities of God. Now, if I were to tell you that there are invisible qualities of God, they're not written down in a book and some uh, person didn't reveal them to you, what would you want to do? You'd go, I want to go on a search and find out what those are. Right. Right? You'd be inspired to go, okay, well, where, where can I discover these things? He says, his eternal power and his divine nature. That's a very important phrase. God's divine nature. What's God really like? What's he really like? 
He says, they, these things have been clearly seen and being understood from what has been made. So in uh, the actual word there is in creation. So this is what inspired all of the early scientists is that they wanted to know the invisible attributes of God by looking at creation. It's like, man, we can discover more stuff about his divine nature. He goes, uh, verse 21, for although these people knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise or intelligent, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. And this is where he talked about how idolatry got started. And today idolatry isn't birds and reptiles and things of that nature, but for the naturalists, it's the creation, you know? And so that, that is kind of the bit, the, what we're talking about and what launched what I believe to be the scientific revolution. So, so what's the basic biblical principle we have here? Well, you know, creation is the window into the heart of God, into the very nature of God. Um, so all the earliest scientists in Western civilization, which is where the scientific revolution came from, it didn't happen in any Eastern, uh, culture. It didn't happen in the ancient culture. It happened in Western civilization and Western civilization alone. I hope to be able to point out the reasons for that later, but look at Copernicus in the 15th century. You know, he was a deep believer, uh, Francois Bacon. He's the, considered the father of the scientific method. He was, uh, he was a uh, mathematician, philosopher, but he was a theologian first. Uh, Thomas Diggs in 1576, he, he discovered the existence of multiple stars, right? And so he was, he kind of pointed that out. He's been, Kepler, you've heard of Kepler's law. He found, the th he, he discovered the three laws of planetary motion and the law of gravity in 1605. He was a deep theologian and follower of Christ. Galileo in 1610, creates a powerful telescope. And in 1630, he postulates that Copernicus's model is better than the Ptolemaic model. And this is what's really, really important to understand is that Galileo's conflict was not science versus religion, which is what every secularist and atheist tries to frame it as. That's false. That's false. What it was is it was Ptolemy versus Ga uh, Copernicus. And Galileo said Copernicus was right. And when you read his letter to the cardinal in the letter, he says the people who are opposed to this um, are not interpreting the Bible accurately enough. Hmm. So Galileo's entire argument was based on a more accurate interpretation of the Bible. So the notion that it was some conflict between science and religion is a falsehood. It is a lie. Uh, Descartes in 1633, the concept of gravitational influence. Isaac Newton in 1675, father of modern science, calculus, physics. He postulates that light is a particle. And in 1687, he publishes his Principia of Mathematica. And what's really interesting is he publishes that. And then all of his other publishing after that was on what? Theology and the Bible. Hmm. Most people don't know that is that everything after that was all about the Bible and faith. And so it's really interesting. So the point being is that the basic principle is that the scientific revolution was launched because of 
Christianity, not in spite of Christianity. The conflict theory is false. And yet today, science, the tool, is being manipulated by naturalists or atheists based on the conflict theory to say it belongs to us, when in fact, it doesn't. It belongs to Christians. And that's what I hope people understand is that faith and science were meant to be together, not separate. Well, I am really excited about this series. Um, We're going to talk more about this on Thursday and then obviously the sermon on Sunday. But um, we're just excited to be starting this new series. We're glad that you guys are here with us, the Salty Pastor family, or we need to come up with a fun name for the Salty Pastor (laughs) listeners. But um, we're just glad you guys are here with us. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you on Thursday. God bless you and have a really great week.